Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. What's up, Brad? Hey, Grayson. How are you doing today? <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, but you already knew that because we've been sitting here for a few minutes talking about it. Yeah, exactly. We used up all the good stuff in the first hour. Yeah, guys, it was funny. You missed it. So, look, shout out to our grandmas, as always, for listening. We were thinking about it, and we haven't really received a ton of emails and texts. And we thought maybe we would remind you that we have that we're people, too. And that we always appreciate hearing from you guys. So if you have any show topic ideas or if you love something or you hate something about what we've said, uh, you can always email us. So Brad's email is, Brad, give us your email. Brad at evergreencap.com. So Brad at evergreencap.com. And I am Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, at stablespartners.com. That's stables as in a horse stables and partners as in howdy partner. And our website is www.thealternativeinvestorsshow.com. So drop us a line. Okay, Brad, I'm excited about today because this is something that for the last five years I've been trying to fake it when I hang out with my real estate friends. And I try to pretend like I know all the different types of real estate asset classes and the good and the bad and the ugly about each of them, but I really don't know them. And so I'm hoping you can tell me. Well, you're faking it pretty well these days. I think you, you know about 50% of it. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is I am going to sort of interview Brad. I'm going to throw out some different types of real estate that I'm familiar with. And I'm going to say, Brad, what is the, what, you know, what's good and bad about these types of real estate? And uh, why, why do some people like to invest in them? Why do some people don't? Like, what are the things we should think about when we're investing in them? And hopefully we will all learn something. All right, Brad, high bar for you. So let's start it off with multifamily. Okay, so I hear a lot about multifamily. I get it. It kind of means like, hey, there's many families living in the same building. So this is maybe like apartment buildings and things like that. But Brad, why don't you break down multifamily for us and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, so multifamily is just apartments. Everybody knows what an apartment is. Most of us have rented in an apartment at some point. So it's probably the easiest commercial real estate asset class to understand for the everyday investor. I get it. Yeah, so there's several types of assets within apartments, but the, the most common ones are like a garden apartment, which is you know two, three stories, and it, you know those are generally in the suburb. Is that is garden locations. like a is that like a technical term or is that just what you guys use? That's when just you what we call hang it. out. Okay, when you yeah. talk real estate. All right, I'm gonna start using that one. So garden is just two to three stories. It's sort of smaller. Yeah, and they're usually a bunch of buildings put together right over a larger acreage, a larger plot of land. Okay, I'm thinking like you know there's like parking in between the buildings and there's maybe yeah. some laundromats scattered in there. There's a swimming pool in there. There's oh. a gym maybe I, okay. somewhere. I've lived in a few of those. Yeah. And then there's you know high-rise apartment buildings that are generally in downtown locations or you know CBDs where it's you know could be a 50-story building, right? So they go more vertical. Okay. Yeah, I've seen those. I haven't lived in any. Yeah, and so those are going to be class A buildings. So it's that like, just means they're better, higher amenities, nicer, newer product. Like at like the show Friends, were they living in a high-rise apartment building in Manhattan? Probably? They were, and okay. none of them could actually afford the rent with those jobs that they had. Such but, a nice apartment. Yeah. Okay. So those are the, the two main ones with apartments. And what you're probably, as a passive investor, your best shot of understanding you know, real estate quickly, if you don't have a lot of time to dig in the weeds on, on deals you're looking at, is probably going to be an apartment. And especially if it's an apartment in a market that you understand understand and know well. Yeah, like this is a common asset class for sort of passive real estate investors, right? Yeah, and real estate uh, investors love it because generally they don't crater. Everybody needs housing and while the rents can go lower, rarely do you find a building that's 25% occupied. 
which in some of these assets we're going to talk about, you can, right? The building can go completely vacant. It's so depressing if you were living in a 25% occupied high-rise. Yeah. So you could argue that this is the uh, one of the lower risk asset types within real estate, which is why retail investors love it so much. But that also then leads to higher pricing and thus lower returns because everybody wants to get these apartments. Okay. So is that, okay. So in general, these, this is sort of a lower return, lower risk type of a type of an investment in general okay. yeah, compared to what the other product types we're going to talk about. And then what about, so would affordable housing and would student housing and those kind of things, would they fall under multifamily? Yeah. So these are subcategories within multifamily. Uh, there's not as much product type, obviously of student housing. It's going to be clustered in university cities, of course. Uh, but it's just a little bit of a different type of product. So there's going to be some nuances to that product type versus just a standard apartment building right? that's located down the street from your house. right? So you have to think more about the lease schedule for a university. right? So a lot of those students are not going to be there for summer. And you have to analyze the statistics on that university and the population, the, the student enrollment growth versus looking at a market and looking at jobs and, and housing prices. right? So it's just a different type of comparison. Okay, gotcha. Also, do you worry about students completely trashing your facility? Sure. Is that a myth? Because uh, I was very respectful when I was a student. <laughs> yeah, I I was pretty respectful. But yeah, it's kind of a, you know, for the most part, they, they treat them well. And they're also, these these buildings are built like prisons, a lot of them, <laughs> they, they, right? So it's, they're hard to mess bit, up. A little bit nicer than a prison. Okay. So uh, yeah, we don't have prison on our list. I'm, I'm oh, that should have made the list. <laughs> yeah. those, those are, are some of those privately owned? Long-term tenants there. <laughs> They don't pay well, uh, although their collect calls apparently are, are worth a lot. <laughs> so affordable housing, what what is that? I mean, I, I, I sort of kind of get that, but what, what are the pros and cons with affordable housing? Affordable housing is is great in the sense that generally it's subsidized. So the tenants are getting help from the state or the federal government. And do the, does the state or the federal government cut a check to you directly as the yes. landlord? Okay, interesting. So, yeah. so there's more stability there where you know yeah, that's going to get paid. So that's called Section 8. Uh, well, that's one of the agencies that helps out with uh, with people that need affordable housing. But yeah, they'll write the check directly to you. And a lot of times they'll just directly deposit it to the, the property's bank account and like clockwork, right? Because it's the federal government or state agency. So you're not worried about them, you know, bouncing a check or being late. And so do you generally, I mean, do you get market rates? Does, I mean, does the person who's living in affordable housing pay sort of X and then the government makes up up the difference for, for what the market rate is in that, that location? No, generally what happens is, especially with new buildings, the in order to get the thing built and entitled, the city will say, hey, well, you have to have a certain component of the units to be affordable. Or if it's 100% affordable, then the, the way they incentivize the, the developers by giving them tax credits. Oh, I see. So they can then sell off the tax credits to other investors. So it's not just a straight return. I see. So there's, investment. Okay. So there's other sort of ways of being incentivized or compensated as a, as outside of just the pure rents. Yeah. Cause in, in no market is an affordable housing building, the quote highest and best use for that property. Yeah. Right? It could make more money being something else, but we still need affordable housing. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And so, and folks, just to be clear, there's, there's people that have built entire strategies around just each of these little subsectors, right? Garden, high rise, affordable student. I mean, this is like, this is there's specific funds dedicated to these things, right? Yeah, and that's great because then they get really good at one particular asset class. Uh, but there's also, you know, something to be said about instead of having to go to 20 different sponsors for each of these different niches, there are some sponsors that are just good at real estate, right, and are opportunistic and and yeah. go where the opportunities are. Gotcha. And so, okay, so multifamily, generally lower risk, but probably lower upside, probably priced more efficiently, maybe a little bit more expensive than some of the other stuff we're talking about. 
Yes. Okay, cool. So the next thing that I, I hear about, I hear about office, right? And again, this one kind of conceptually makes sense to me. I realize that businesses need to rent space in office buildings. Um, so talk about the, what are the differences and different types of niches inside of the office product? Yeah, it's similar to apartment buildings in that you're going to get suburb office buildings, which are you know generally smaller, uh, maybe two, three, five, ten stories. Yeah. And they're, they're a lot closer to where people live. Right, especially in places like Southern California, right? A lot of the office product is is suburb because there's not really a, a quote downtown in say Orange County. But in big cities like San Francisco, you know, New York, Houston, DC, there is a downtown area, and then that other office product type would be considered core or CBD. And generally there you want to go vertical because space is a premium. So those are the high rises. Okay, and so and what are the what are the pros and cons with office? The pros of, of office are that well, one, you're getting a, a credit tenant a lot of times. Yeah, for, they, they uh, have money in the bank. They have money <laughs> in the bank. They're not you know living paycheck to paycheck like some of these tenants in apartment buildings. Like I was when I was living in my yeah. garden apartment. Yeah. And so you get a, a diversified rent roll of of legitimate companies. Oftentimes they have real balance sheets and are rated by. Uh, a credit agency. So it's almost like a bond. So that's, that's a good thing. Also with office is that you tend to make a lot more money in the cycles on something like office than you do in apartments. It's harder to buy an amazing deal in a distressed market with, uh, with apartments. Whereas office, you have a recession, the economy's not doing well. An office building can go from 98% occupied to like we said, 70 75. Okay, interesting. So then the valuation or the price that you would pay for an office building, that fluctuates a lot more than maybe a multifamily building would? Yeah, and you can see it in the rents too. Like if you look at San Francisco office rents, it, it looks like a roller coaster. Yeah. Right? And it's, it's but like a really boring roller coaster. It just goes up and down. <laughs> it's, there's no loops. And no loops. Yeah. So groups that specialize in office that have huge you know, balance sheets that can just buy things for cash in, in you know, rough markets when things are plummeting, they tend to make a lot of money quickly in, in office investments. Like I said, it, it, it's harder to do that in the apartment world. Interesting. Okay. So then, so there's a more of a timing component here with office and multifamily. A hundred percent. You want to hope you're buying when the, when things are cheap as opposed to when they're expensive. Yeah. Cause the problem with office is if you're holding it long term, it is difficult to, to make a ton of money on a cash on cash basis just yearly because you're spending a lot of capital on the improvements. So when somebody defaults on a lease or leaves an apartment unit, what do you have to do as the landlord? Well, you got to paint maybe, and you got to clean the carpet. That's about it. In multifamily, in yeah, apartments, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You you maybe spend you know. Or if you're know, my landlord, you don't do either. You of don't those do anything. Yeah. If you're in a great market. You just say, hey, we got an open unit. Thanks, Jim. Whereas with an office property, okay, so say you have a fifty thousand square foot tenant that that defaults they go bankrupt. And so they just leave in the middle of the night and they stop paying. Well, that configuration of that office is highly specific to what that tenant wanted usually. Yeah. yeah. That's that's on you to change it. Yeah. Sometimes you can get away with having the tenant pay for improvements, but that's rare. Most of the time you as the landlord have to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on building out the space to exactly what that tenant wants. Right. Oh, we want a lot of glass. Right. So you got to spend a ton of money on improvements and you got to spend a ton of money on leasing commissions. Our, our buddy JP, who's a leasing broker, benefits from this dynamic. Does very well. Yeah. So you you write a big check to the leasing broker the, the first day uh, of that lease as if that tenant stays there for 10 years yeah. when they could blow out in a year. 
Interesting. Okay, so office would be sort of higher risk, higher reward than multifamily. You, and, and this is speaking in gross generalities, of course. Yes, and you can obviously put more money to work because these are bigger assets yeah. and they require more capital. Yeah, and there's a timing component here, it sounds like, more so than multifamily, where you, you really want to make sure you're not buying at the top of the cycle here. Yes. Okay, cool. All right, good. I'm going to go out and uh, maybe some, evaluate some office properties now. What about, okay, so industrial. This one, I, I, I feel like industrial, these are huge sort of four walls and a roof and then a lot of empty space in the middle. Uh, I think we all see these when we're driving out of town on the side of the interstate. Uh, what's the deal with these things? Yeah, these are warehouses. These are distribution facilities. So this is what's fueling Amazon's growth right now. They're just yeah. gobbling these things up. They're building I love, I love these. I love, this is kind of what makes the world go around, right? All those boxes we get on our front doorstep are coming out of these types of facilities, right? Yeah. And I actually love this product type too, because uh, it kind of goes with my, my favorite theme here is not spending a lot of capital, ongoing capital to service the building and the, and the tenant. Yeah. It's like four walls, a roof and a cement pad, right? Not too many things can go wrong, right? They're not going to call you about the, oh, the facade is cracking yeah, or the boiler broke yeah. or we, we really want new tenant improvements. Yeah. They're, you're like, what? Yeah. It's just a cement block. And the, But these are hot right now, right? I mean, everyone's, this, the, ga- the gig is up or, or the jig is up on this one where it's like, everyone's like, hey, e-commerce is big. Like, you know, warehouses are necessary. Um, yeah. So the, the theme right now, right, is that, okay, well, retail is getting crushed and we'll get to retail, but Retail is getting crushed and, and is worthless because everything's going online. And the the flip side of that is, well, everything's going online, so Amazon needs a bunch of distribution facilities, so these things are gold. So a lot of that is priced into the market. It's hard to get a well-located industrial building right now for a reasonable price. My, na- my neighbor um, invested in a in sort of developed, actually, a lot of industrial properties over the last 15 years here in Orange County. And I don't think he has to work anymore. He seems like he's he's gardening a lot, so <laughs> he, he did fine. He did all right. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think this is an interesting product. I, I I'd like to learn more about this one. But so again, the pros cons here are you know you don't have to put a lot of money into these things. A lot of tenant improvements. Um, I guess pretty stable pretty stable rent rolls here. I mean, are these kind of the kind of companies that are going to be around for a while and continue to lease for a long period of time? Well, that's more debatable. If it's a a top tier product in a great market that's close to an airport or a, a regional hub where it's it's just critical to that transportation line, then yes, you're going to get a great tenant like somebody like as Amazon. Oh, I see. So location right? here is a huge Location one. is yeah. huge, right? You can't just throw up a, you know, this this building in Wyoming and expect you're going to lease it quickly. It's got to be uh, it's got to be tied to uh, railroads are good. Right, because they they can unload and load. Yeah, and big interstate, big interstates, <laughs> airports, ports. Yeah, and uh, so how about the risk reward profile on these warehouses of, con- compared to office and multifamily? I would say it's uh, it's not quite as risky as office because the capital requirements aren't as high, but okay. it's not as secure, so to speak, or um, less volatile like apartment buildings. It's not as not as stable as apartment. Yeah, buildings. because oftentimes you'll have. Just you know, one building that has one tenant. Yeah, and if, if that guy's gone, it's a big deal. If they you know screw the pooch, so to speak, you're toast. Yeah, yeah. right. So okay. sometimes you have multi-tenant industrial buildings, but oftentimes they're just a giant football field. Yeah, for one tenant, it's it's crazy, right? Because I would say I would venture to say that 95 percent of America has never stepped foot in one of these things, right? But they're just they're so critical to our economy right now. It's that, that always interests me. Yeah, and it's really fun to see the the companies that have brought in the robots for these facilities, like the diaper.com guys that Amazon bought, which is literally just a a big warehouse, big full warehouse with robots just just running around. And just like floor to ceiling racks, right? No people. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Creepy. Okay, so the next category. Okay, that's industrial. How about retail? Retail, I think we all kind of get retail. It's where you go in and you buy products and things and you put in your bag and you walk out. What are the different types of retail facilities? Yeah, so we have malls, right, which everybody thinks we're all going uh, extinct, which there's some truth to that especially in the Midwest. Yeah, malls, big part of my youth. Yeah, there's entertainment centers, which are doing actually fabulous in, in great locations. So this think of you know something like a promenade in Santa Monica where there's restaurants, high-end shopping, there's movie theaters. Yeah, so it's, it's like a bunch of different types of properties all designed to kind of just bring people together and congregate and things like that. Exactly. Right. Okay. And then there is there is a grocery anchored, which is just you know you have uh, a Vons, you have what Safeway, big Safeway, <laughs> Citrix, what Pavilions, Publix, Publix. Shout yeah, out yeah. to Publix, Publix. My, home, my home state of Florida, an East Coast company. Yeah. So Piggly Wigglies, and it's like that's the most critical tenant of those projects. And then you have what's called inline tenants that just surround them, and that's the salons, the cell phone shop, nail, right? yeah, nail, nail, nail salons, a lot of nail, the old the old video rental, right? Stores. And there, the, <laughs> what, what, what you want to think about with those is those make great investments. How do you disrupt? You know, groceries. Yeah, groceries seems to be pretty critical. I mean, granted, day we life. get ours delivered via Amazon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's how you disrupt. But we still go to the grocery store, and a lot of people just want to pick out their fruit, right? How is a grocery store and a strip mall? I guess I guess a, a strip mall is just a, a, a grocery a grocery center is a strip mall with a grocery center, right? Yeah, exactly. If you took out the major grocery store you have a strip mall, right? Because then you just have a bunch of weird little inline tenants that are not are going to be a, they're not going to bring a bunch of people to that center. Yeah. Those are risky. Generally, you you better know what you're doing if you're going to invest in a strip mall. What's the high level sort of like pros and cons for us of retail? So retail can be good, right? Retail is all location. I mean, most yeah. of real estate is, but it's even more important for retail. And with these little strip malls, like I said, I, I would probably avoid them unless you're a pro. But if it's grocery anchored, those can be great, stable investments. You just don't want to have a lot of uh, inline tenants, the one, the little guys surrounding the grocery store that could be disrupted by somebody like Amazon. Yeah. You want, you want those nail salons, the, the gym, right? Chipotle. Chipotle, where you can't just say, oh, well, th- this little store that sells boutique clothing. Yeah. That's just going to go BK probably. So when you're evaluating a retail investment, you know, it's really looking at the actual quality of the tenant and so who they are and like wh- what you think of the future of that business matters, huh? A hundred percent. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's kind of like office in that sense, right? But it's just, I mean, I get it that it's a different class, of, you know, because there's different uses and different types of tenants, but it's similar, right? Yeah. And one one category of retail that I think investors should look into is, is triple net. Think of the El Pollo Locos, the Starbucks and Chipotle's, right? Where it's just a one-off building within kind of a grocery anchored yeah. location or it can be just completely off on its own. Yeah. Like a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Maybe not Chuck E. Cheese. I, mean, I just had that on my mind. <laughs> but these are, these are called triple net buildings. And the best part about these assets for, from a retail standpoint is that you buy the building, you, you get the tenant and then you collect the checks. Yeah. You don't, you don't really do much, right? You don't. There's you don't, no maintenance. Like they pay utilities. They pay. They pay their own maintenance. They huh? pay the real estate taxes. They pay everything. Wow. So it's almost like they own that in the sense they take care of everything. Except they just write you a check every month. They write you a check, and then when their lease is done, you know you still own the building. And that's called triple net. That's called the triple net lease. Okay. And a triple net asset. So those are those are great for retail investors. You probably shouldn't just buy one, right? Because once again, it's a hundred percent of your rent rolls one tenant. But they're usually backed by the credit of that company. Yeah. Right? If you get a Starbucks. They're yeah. not going to default. And this retail feels, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of feels like it's in the same sort of ballpark in terms of risk reward as office. Is that, it is. Is that fair to say? Totally. 
Okay. It's just usually they're smaller check sizes, so it's it's usually easier to participate as a retail investor versus office. Oh, we got to come up with a fifty million here. All right. So how about hotels? Hotels seem to combine a lot of these actually. Well, what's, what's weird is that hotels are the riskiest of all of these. I would argue. Are they? Yeah, because you have a you have an operating business inside of a retail play. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds bad. Yeah. So <laughs> who would want that? Yeah, just because you have a zero percent occupied hotel one night doesn't mean you get to fire everybody. I feel like you have to be very smart to make money in hotels. Like. Yeah, I just you got to get a lot of things right, right. You do. I think it's a timing thing for sure, and it's a branding. It's a technology play these days, yeah. right? If you if you're not good at Expedia and pay per click ads and all these different companies that get people to actually bid and buy a room, then you're toast. Was it you who was was saying that hotels are, are they're, they're kind of like multifamily, except your tenants leave every day, <laughs> or they you know they, they're just signing a bunch of one to two two-day uh, leases that was me yeah that's Look at that. you are listening I, I do listen um yeah and it's funny so i have some buddies in the hotel world and you know they seem to be pretty it's it's pretty exciting i think they, they generally like it i mean these are pretty cool properties a lot of times right you can well, kind of you can you can tell your mom what you do and they're like oh yeah then go to your website and see well it's certainly sexier than buying a grocery anchored building well depends on who you ask i the Publix is in florida that i grew up in man those were fun <laughs> So yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, so that makes sense. And again, hotels you would say are are kind of higher on the high risk, high reward. Yeah, these are actually higher. These are the highest, I'd argue. You can get crushed in hotels because it's really tied to the economy. Business travel, right? Discretionary income in a recession. Yeah. Hotel occupancy tanks. And then in the same way that if you own an office building, you can hire a property manager to sort of maintain the day-to-day if you own a hotel, you typically would hire a management company, right? To just that is true. The- yeah, especially if it was a big hotel, for sure. You're hiring a management company. Like which, Marriott or Yeah, Star it's called Wars. a flag. So yeah. they, they put their flag on it, which is they have all the systems. and Which is, which is weird because I, I never fully appreciated that model until a few years ago. But it's, it seems like in, this, in that case, given that they're the brand, I mean, I imagine they have a lot of power and leverage in that relationship, right? Imagine they extract a lot of the value out of that relationship. Totally. Okay. So, yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, okay, yeah, that's good. why I avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You got to be pretty damn smart. I'm not smart. <laughs> no, neither am I. All right. So, how about some other stuff? So, we, I kind of lump these as like niche, sort of maybe they're related to a lot of the stuff we've talked about, but let's just go down the list here. Manufactured housing, which I know you're intimately familiar with. Yeah. We can do a whole episode on that. We point. should. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. So, these are technically sub products of all these other categories, but. What is the other word for manufactured housing? I can't remember. Mobile that. home. Park. Oh, yeah. Mobile home parks. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just in case no one, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I would say these are they're not as uh, efficient as the other product types. There's not as many players focused on them, and not as many institutional buyers chasing these. You can get a little bit of a better deal on these. Yeah. There. Some of them are misunderstood. So these are the niche category. And so manufactured housing, mobile home parks is is one. But they take a lot of work too. Right? They take a lot of work. And actually, one theme that is consistent across a, a lot of these in the niche category, which is why. I actually focus on niche yeah. real estate is because a lot of these tenants of these product types are really committed to the property, whether that's mostly through a capital investment, but they generally are not, there's not a lot of turnover in these asset types. So you got manufactured housing, you got data centers, which is like a server farm. Yeah. Like right? a bunch of computers on racks in, the yeah. thing, in a building. A so think, a, lights. think AWS for Amazon, yeah. right? Just a giant server facility that has backup generators. Yeah. yeah. And, Google and Facebook, they rent all these, they rent these kinds of facilities all the time, right? Exactly. Cell towers, 
Cell towers. One. What a fascinating investment. So people just own cell towers, huh? Oh yeah, I've I've done a few of these leases before on top of office buildings, and they are they are fascinating because they're they're longer term leases. And you're, and, you're just to be clear, you're, le- you're like I own the cell tower and I lease to Verizon and to AT and T and to Sprint. Is that is that the way this works? Well, yes, exactly. So you lease the the broadband. The real estate business is you own the roof or you own the land and you lease that land oh, to the cell tower okay. business. So I don't own the cell tower. I own the land that it's on. Yeah, okay, gotcha. right. Which that to me is even better because yeah, it's just you know great. I'm I'm leasing you land. Okay, and so there's folks that actually own the cell towers. They lease from you, and then they, yeah. and then they sublease their cell tower to all the different carriers. And, or it's just you go direct to the carrier. Direct just, to the carrier. That know, makes sense. Verizon yeah. and AT and T have their own cell towers. Oh, that's cool. Then yeah. again, man, that's that's so awesome. that is a very good business. So if you own like a piece of farmland and in, in, in some critical area where there's necessary to have a cell tower, and you, you could probably command it because it's only. Takes up probably what a hundred square feet of land. Oh yeah, and it's obviously zero maintenance. Oh, that's cool. It's once you sign the lease, it's just like a bond. It's it's great. Yeah, I, a lot of guys made money on that in the. Uh, I feel like the late two thousands. I've heard of a few of those that really blew up. Totally, you haven't completely missed it, right? Because they're always upgrading. They're always looking to expand the network. But yeah, the easy money has already been made at cell towers. Another one is casinos or gaming. Very specific niche uh, play within real estate, similar to, to a hotel operation. It's an operation operating business obviously and it's going to be much harder for most of our <laughs> listeners to get into this yeah, business because they're illegal in most places <laughs> and i want to start one of these and you need a gaming <laughs> license which is a small detail yeah i'll figure it out yeah and then uh, i'd say single family rentals is a new niche type of investment i mean obviously people have been renting homes for years but doing this at scale yeah where you own 10 20 100 is a is a brand new thing that i think people are just starting to really figure out these can be challenging just because it's like super efficient to own one location that has 300 units in an apartment building versus 300 homes that are spread across 100 miles but these these certainly can work and the reason this is a viable strategy now is because of the downturn. A lot of people were able to buy these homes at 70 cents on the dollar, sometimes yeah. 30 cents on the dollar. And, and, even, and even the lower scale end of this, like the fix and flip, this would be this would be under this category, right? Where you, or I guess a fix and flip, you're I actually selling I don't even it. Count, I don't even count fix and flip. You I mean, that's a, no, to me, that is like that's a design. That's a, a speculating yeah, I mean, that is just a. You're not actually sort of renting the property out for some sort of steady stream of income. You're just buying and selling. And yeah, and it's a business too because it's you know you got to keep doing it. No, that's a, okay. Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Anyways, and then uh, what's uh, what's the other one here? Medical, right? What what's the what's the deal with medical? <laughs> every doctor is in the same building in every town, right? It's weird. Yeah. So there's some zoning. Well, there's zoning, uh, and there's also. Uh, landlords kind of tee up a building to be made for medical. There's certain you just know, a lot of sick people, so you don't want to like you don't want well, to. Yeah, have a that's lot of the thing. You don't want to put like, you know your retail is oh, coughing. Your Starbucks next to uh, <laughs> the emergency center. Yeah, it scares away visitors. But I love medical in part. Why I love data centers and cell towers. You know, manufactured housing is because there's there is a big commitment on the part of the tenant, and it's difficult to leave. If you're a dentist or a, a, a medical facility, you, you paid a ton of money for all this heavy equipment. It's hard to move. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So these, this niche category is manufactured housing, data centers, cell towers, casinos, single family rentals, medical, probably 
maybe priced a little less efficiently. You might be able to find some better deals, maybe require a little bit more work than some of the other ones. Yeah. And all of these are, like I said, lower turnover businesses. So you don't feel like you have a, a bucket with a hole at the bottom. You're constantly contributing new capital because your tenant base is, is rolling over every every year. This, you feel like you buy it and you can contribute a little bit and then compound returns, which is why I like niche real estate. All right. Well, I, I enjoyed that. And I'm sure we missed like dozens of potential real estate asset classes. These were just sort of the, the big hits that Thanks we went through. Thanks for listening so to the Investor. Uh, don't be Since afraid to remind this us far, of that. You should take uh, a go to our website or shoot us an email at the beginning of the episode. There you'll receive additional uh, insights learn something and insider access Thanks, to bro. the world sure. of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.